Welcome to the Let's Talk Money and More podcast with me, Leslie Thomas. The aim of the podcast is to get us all talking about money more. Talking about money is still considered to be a taboo. We don't talk about money enough. Women don't talk about money enough. And that needs to stop. In this podcast, my guests and I talk about money, mindset, and how to turn around limiting beliefs, allowing you to develop a healthy, wealthy money mindset. Our relationship with money doesn't just affect our finances, but impacts every aspect of our business. And most of all, our own sense of self-value and self-worth. By mastering your mindset, you can in turn master the money you make in your business. Welcome to another celebratory episode of the Let's Talk Money and More podcast. I am celebrating a whole 12 months of the podcast and also the fact that we are now adding male guests to the lineup, starting with a week-long series of male guests. All week, I'll be sharing with you seven great men in my network and today is no exception. I would like to introduce you to Ollie Carson. Ollie is a father to three beautiful children, a partner and founder head coach of Supercharged Fit Pro. Supercharged Fit Pro helps busy, frustrated personal trainers build thriving online businesses so they have more impact, income and freedom. I've had the pleasure of working with a number of Ollie's clients, and they really are not only supercharged, but a super group of people too. Welcome to the podcast, Ollie. I am so looking forward to having this conversation with you. I'm going to ask you the same question that I ask all my guests. What is your money story? Where do we start? (laughs) Um, How long have you got? Oh, hours. Uh, Hours. My money story is an interesting one, to say the least, and it's ever-growing and ever-changing. Um, but it's it's definitely been a very difficult process to get to the point that I'm at today. And, um, I, you know, I was listening to a couple of your your guest interviews and, and the various different money stories that they've displayed. And there are, you know, very similar attributes, you know, to, to what other people have experienced, to what I've experienced. But I think mine are, are, are different in... In, in some kind of extraordinary ways. Um, when I was growing up, my family lived um, hand to mouth. We didn't have money. Um, and we lived in a rough part of, of Northwest London in, in Wembley. And so for me, money was always scarce. We never had money. Um, we weren't the poorest of the poor, but we, we certainly didn't have an abundance at all. Um, and money often got me into trouble. As I was growing up, you know, I was a product of, of my environment, for want of a better way of putting it. Um, so money did often land me in trouble. Um, and I'm sure we'll, we'll delve into some of the, the particular situations that money landed me in um, as we go through the podcast. But, you know, my early years were really um, difficult when it came to finances because my mom had a stroke while I was quite young. And so she was on, on um, disability allowance uh, on benefits. We lived in a council house. Um, we were continually moving. And so for me, money wasn't ever something that was really explained to me. I didn't understand how money worked. I didn't understand 
um, you know, how to make money work for you. I didn't understand anything about it because it just wasn't a, a spoken about topic in our family at all. Um, so for me, getting to kind of where I am today has been a very, very steep learning curve and I'm still learning. And actually you framed it perfectly on our in-person event that we had most recently about your mindset and how it's not a one and done, you know, it's never changing and ever growing thing. I'm still very much learning and I'm still making mistakes today. So I want to get that on record that I'm by no means the finished article when it comes to money or money mindset whatsoever. Um, but I think the journey to this point has been difficult to say the least. And I'm happy to dig into some of those things in a bit more detail. The first time that we met each other was was on, on Clubhouse. And I was struck by your level of, of honesty in in what you shared and what struck me in particular again at the in-person event we did in August was the depth and breadth of people that were in the room there were people who hadn't made the the leap across into being business owners they were straddling between having a job and and starting a business there were people in the room who were you know at six figures and above but the level of respect that you command in front of those people for me even thinking about it now was breathtaking and hearing you talking about your your start in life and how it wasn't the easiest start and everything that you have had to navigate how have you done that well, first of all, thank you very much for those lovely, kind words. And actually, you know, I think life is about perspective. And I think it's quite easy for me to sit here and say that we had a difficult upbringing financially. And, you know, my money story is one of challenge, but actually it's it's really become my superpower. And actually the thing that you spoke to there is that that ability to empathize with people and that ability to be on the same level as people, because I've been there and I've done it and I've been at the lowest of, of the low, so to speak, for want of a better way of putting it. And um, I think it actually serves me really well now, having context and perspective as to what people experiences and the challenges that they have and being able to articulate those things with my clients enables me to have a much deeper connection and relationship with them. So I'm actually incredibly thankful for my upbringing and I, I try and challenge all of those things that were difficult in my childhood for good now. And it, and it serves me really well. So I'm very, very fortunate in that way that I've managed to kind of flip my perspective in that way. But to give more context to the listeners, the thing that you were speaking about um, with Clubhouse and kind of sharing my experience, I got to a point where you know, I, I grew up in an area that was riddled with crime and you were subject of your environment. I was a young guy, I was a, a young adolescent male who um, had no money and was hanging around with the wrong people and eventually got almost, um, I, I guess, groomed into doing really, really irresponsible and dangerous things. And uh, it led to a point and it kind of came to a head when um, I was told to deliver a package to a shop. And it doesn't take a genius to realize if you've got a criminal telling a young man to deliver a package to, to the shop and, and in exchange for some money or whatever it might be, um, what's going on there. But anyway, the way the, tr the story transpired is um, this criminal who'd been kind of grooming me for several weeks um, showed up at my door demanding that I paid him the £3,000 that I'd owed him for the, the parcel that I delivered. And I, I never received any of this money. But essentially, it was a, it was a really common 
um, ploy or tactic or, or con that these guys were playing on young guys, on young kids to get families to pay up several thousand pounds for something that hasn't happened. Um, and it got to a point where this guy took me into, into his house and threatened to kill me. Um, and I was probably 15 or 16 at the time. And so myself and my family, we were forced to move out of this area because, you know, the guy was threatening to kill me every single day uh, unless we coughed up this money that we simply didn't have. And so I guess, and actually on reflection, only today when I knew that I was going to be having this podcast with you and I was going to be answering the question of, you know, what's my money story? I hadn't really thought about it, but actually money has always had this kind of tainted um, or I've always had a tainted relationship in, in many ways with money because it's been this it's been this object that has brought quite a lot of pain into my life and whether I've been consciously thinking about that or not, but it has, you know, whether it's that situation in particular or not having money or, or the scarcity around money, it's been quite a painful topic for me. Um, so, you know, a lot of things happened in my younger years that, that shaped my relationship with money. And actually when I joined the military, um, actually, that event was the catalyst for me to join the military because I needed to leave the, the area and it was kind of almost my escape route. Um, I carried that bad relationship through to my military career and beyond. You know, I was taking out payday loans every single month and and funding my socializing with payday loans from from these kind of companies that are now bust, thankfully, and, and don't operate anymore. But I was racking up huge debt, you know, paying for it because I had no understanding as to how to manage money how to respect money, how to use it for your good. And um, it really, really did set me up for failure. My, my younger experiences with, with um, finances really did set me up to fail later on in, in my adult life as well. Yeah, that's, that's really, really interesting. And, and it kind of, it's given me goosebumps hearing that because, you know, the story that you recounted there with regards to, you know, the package and the the debt you allegedly owed, et cetera, that was actually a storyline on a soap opera recently. Brilliant. And I think, you know, very often we think of storylines on soap operas of, of being just storylines, not necessarily being, you know, seeped in reality. There's lots spoken about in regards to children needing to have financial literacy in school that, you know, there's, there's all this stuff going on about, you know, Venn diagrams and ad fronted verbials, et cetera, things that children won't utilise when they when they leave school. What do you think would have been of benefit to you growing up for you to have more knowledge about in terms of money and the relationship that you developed with it? For me, at the very core level, it's just open dialogue. I mean, that was completely lacking in our household. So not even, you know, not even looking at the education system, which I agree that there needs to be change there. Um, but, you know, culturally and, and, and in our economic class and in our surrounding areas, and I know it to be true for all of my friends who I grew up with, the, the same situation kind of played out. Money isn't spoken about. Money is seen and believed to be something inherently bad or evil or, you know, dirty or wrong or whatever. We have all of these negative connotations attached to money. And so it's not even an open dialogue or it wasn't an open dialogue in my household. And so you can't expect somebody to have a good, uh, any sort of understanding of how it works or what it means or how to look after it if it's not even spoken about. And so for me at the very core level, just having that discussion 
about money, whether it's talking about saving or if it's talking about value or understanding money or understanding more about the economy, just these small conversations would have been incredibly helpful. And I, and I didn't really, I mean, I, I only really started my my true journey to not financial freedom, but to at least being in a much better position financially. I didn't start that until probably five or six years ago when I started my first business. Um, and it was all kind of self-taught and then and then moving forwards, hiring my own mentors and coaches and, and really becoming you know interested in that area. So it's happened really late in my life. I'm 33 now. And so the fact that I've only just started to learn in the last sort of six years or so is is quite astonishing. And uh, you know, it, it's a story that I hear, you know, frequently. And in fact, you are by no means older starting your journey, you know, compared to some people that I have that 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 conversation with. It's a common theme. Was there a catalyst for you that that encouraged you to actually re-educate yourself in terms of how you thought about money? Yeah, for me it was um leaving the military. So I'd served nine years or so. I was going through a divorce at the time, which I know seems absolutely wild because I'm actually now going through my second divorce and I'm 33. So I'm doing something wrong there. Um, but I was going through a divorce at the time and um, starting my endeavor as at the time I was, was transitioning to be a personal trainer and um, I was going to be self-employed. And so I was setting up, you know, my HMRC accounts and, and figuring out all of that stuff. And it was just a complete can of worms being opened into managing your own finances you know, gone were the days where I was a soldier, you turn up, you're told what to do, and you get paid your salary at the end of the month, and then you just kind of do what you will with it, so to speak. Now it was like, okay, actually, I need to manage this myself. And so that was the catalyst for me. That was when I really had to turn my hand and learn more. Um, and I made lots and lots of mistakes in the early in the early days uh, of being self-employed, lots of mistakes. And again, this is all stuff that could be quite easily avoided if we have this discussion early on in our in our lives, but I just simply didn't have that. And is is there any management that is or any education that is provided by the military for for their for their staff to move from this very, as I imagine it to be, a very institutionalized environment out into civvy world? Is there a management of that that happens, an education that happens, or are you one day a soldier and the next day you've left and you have to fend for yourself? Probably not as extreme as that, but it, you go through a process called resettlement and it typically spans over a year. You can't just say you're leaving and then go. And, and, and I think they put that in place so that, you know, when you go through troublesome times in the military, you go away on difficult operations. Guys, guys and girls generally do get quite frustrated with the job role and they want to leave. And so as a deterrent, you have to serve a year when you decide you're leaving. And, and quite often what will happen is you decide you're going to leave you go through your year process of leaving and then you decide actually that this is secure, this is safe, and they end up signing back on. And so it's, it's definitely a clever way of doing things from a military's perspective. But you go through this year-long resettlement process and there's no real education as to how to make the transition. There's just the ability to book onto further courses. If you want to pursue a particular career on, upon leaving, you can book onto particular courses and, and hone your skills that way. But in terms of you know understanding the rules of life, etc., there's none of that. And a lot of the guys who leave really do struggle, um, not only with understanding the rules of life now that you're a civilian, but also this massive sense of a loss of identity 
you know, you, you put on a uniform, there's a sense of pride, there's a sense of achievement, there's a sense of belonging. Going from that to going to you're at it alone and you're now just, for want of a better word, the same as everybody else, um, that can be really, really difficult for people to accept. And so that's why we see a lot of ex-military guys and girls ending up homeless or ending up alcoholics or drug abusers and things of that nature because they lose that sense of identity. I was very fortunate in that I was kind of thrown into this new environment where I had to thrive quite early on. I had to um, be on the ball where I wouldn't be fed, you know. And so for me, I kept active, I kept busy and, and you know, fortunately it's led me to where I am today, which I'm incredibly grateful for. And looking back, you know, over that period of time, There'll be people, you know, listening into this podcast who are, you know, always keen to, you know, to learn from the guests, the lessons that they have not had to learn, but they can learn from somebody else, basically. What have you learned from that point that you left the army, the mistakes that you made, et cetera? What advice would you give to, to others listening in today in order for them to possibly avoid some of those mistakes? Me, the biggest one, and it's again, it's only a new lesson for me. And I'm, I'm like I say, I'm still, I'm still improving, and I'm still making mistakes. And I've got no doubt that's going to change anytime soon. But for me, the biggest one was number one, living within your means, and number two, reinvesting in some way. I've always been very good at reinvesting, whether that's my own self development, hiring coaches, mentors, people who are in positions that I want to be, and I'm, I've got no issue in doing that at all. But I got myself in a lot of trouble early on. Um, as a personal trainer, as I became, you know, more and more busy, I was running a six-figure coaching business as a personal trainer, um, but had no idea around tax returns and saving for your tax and all of these things. And the brown letter comes through the door, and you're not prepared for it. Then all of a sudden, your life turns upside down, and then you're playing catch up. Um, and and again, it comes back to that really basic level understanding of understanding finances, you know, understanding the intricacies of running your own business or being self-employed. These were discussions that I just never had with anybody, not even with, um, you know, the personal training accreditors who I, who I did my qualifications with. There's no teaching whatsoever around running your own business. Um, and so it was just complete alien to me. And so I made lots of mistakes along the way. So my biggest piece of advice really would be learn to live with it within your means learn to understand the intricacies of managing your money and learn to reinvest in such a way that, you know, you, you build your wealth over time. Yeah. And, you know, that's a really good point because I think, you know, when we see and hear people talking about, you know, a six-figure business, et cetera, actually forget that about half of it, if not sometimes more, goes to the tax man, yeah. basically. And I think you're absolutely right that when we set up our own business, actually, it is from our mistakes that we 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 learn because I think there's there's very little understanding out there, particularly if you've been PAYE and you're used to getting the amount of money that's in the bank. That is after you know all deductions have been made. When you're not used to managing those aspects for yourself, it can be very, very easy to view the money in your bank account as being your money rather than actually a big proportion of that does belong to somebody else mm. and will actually have to be paid out sooner rather than later, getting those brown envelopes, you know, through the door and ensuring 
those payments are made. And I think it it is very, very, it is very, very uncomfortable for a lot of people to realize that there isn't a handbook that you can go to that says this is the the A to Z of how to run a business successfully without mistakes from day one. Because I think all of us are learning from our mistakes. All of us recognize that our relationship with money, the conversation we have with ourselves, our money mindset, you know, as I frequently say, and you've mentioned today, it's it is never one and done. You know, I go through, you know, a continual reiteration of my relationship with money because the environment changes, technology changes, new people come into the industry, things happen from a, a legislative perspective, a taxation perspective, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think for a lot of people who are li- who are listening, you know, if they are struggling at the moment to really get to grips with what is going on in their business, go and have a few conversations with people who have done it before, because they will have the the relevant advice and support and experience to give you. Because trying to sift your way through it, you know, online, for example, can be very, very tricky. Yeah, definitely. And and my situation in particular was like a perfect storm to get it all wrong. You know, with my upbringing and and my younger years and and what my financial situation was like growing up. Um, then being thrust into a complete, you know, the other end of the spectrum where there is a lot of money coming in, um, but but not having those core communications and and those those discussions around money and, and money was never talking about and I t- spoken about and I never spoke about money with anyone. You know, when I started my own business, it was like burying my head in the sand to some degree. You know, and oh, it will it will kind of go away. That's that's not for me. And you know. Of course, it's for everyone and everybody needs to pay attention to those things. So, yeah, I, I really was not set up to fail, but it, it made it made early years of running my own business really quite difficult. And so now I try and pass those those learnings on to my own clients as well. Absolutely. And how different is your relationship with money now? Completely different. Um, I, I see money really as a tool more than anything else. And I live... A lot more frugally. Um, don't get me wrong; I still have my vices. I think we all do have vices. Mine is, you know, luxury getaways. I love going away with with Cat and and having great food. I am a bit of a petrol head, and so I do like. I was going to say cars, cars. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I'm so much more respectful of money now and the power that it has both ways to work for you and work against you if you're not careful. And so, um, yeah, my relationship with money has changed immensely and it's actually changed immensely in, in a great deal thanks to you as well, you know, since we we, we first kind of um, communicated, whether it was a year or two years ago, whenever it might be, I've, I've taken a lot of, you know, teaching from you. And so I, I do have you to thank for that as well. Um, but like you say, it's it's never a one and done and it's new levels, new devils, you know, as, as my business now grows, um, I'm facing new challenges and and you know, having to kind of combat new situations that I haven't had to deal with previously. And so it's an ever-changing thing. No, and thank you for your kind words there. I really, really appreciate that. And I think you know, what what is evident when when we start drilling down into our relationship with money, 
is that we're not actually aware to begin with that we even have a relationship with money. It's just something we either don't think about, we think a lot about, or we are disparaging about. And again, thanks to your you know event and you know seeing you know, the feedback from you know a lot of your clients with regards to didn't even really consider that about money before. I'm now going to I'm now going to think about that. I think the closer a relationship we can actually have with money and a relationship that is a loving relationship, be that a best friend or or, or something more, the more that we can actually see, the more we put into that relationship, the more we will get back from it. And I think I changed the whole of my languaging around what I do from just being money mindset, because that can be a little bit disconnected to actually being a relationship with money. Because, you know, with a good relationship, we invite that into our lives. We create good memories with it. We do things with it that make it more abundant. And the more that we can do that, the more that we're growing that relationship, essentially. And I think everything that you've said there in terms of how you've changed your relationship with money it's also changed your life for the better as well. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And and this and again, it's that kind of ripple effect as well with, you know, having these open discussions. And, and that's the thing I love about this podcast the most and the discussions that you have with your guests is the fact that you're actually just talking about money when it's such an almost taboo topic, for want of a better way of putting it. People are reluctant, especially in our culture, speaking about money is is almost unheard of and that's changing a little bit and i've noticed that change actually of late but just by having this discussion the ripple effect is that people are more mindful people are making better decisions and then ultimately you know that serves everyone you know because money can be the root cause for a lot of unhappiness for a lot of people you know and actually when you just understand at the very core what your relationship with money is and, and you have that self-awareness, you can then work on it, you can develop it, you can you can build upon it. If you're like I was many years ago and you bury your head in the sand, then that doesn't serve you in any way at all. Absolutely. And I think if well, sometimes people don't see there's a connection between their relationship with money and their relationship with themselves, you know, their sense of self-worth and self-value. And when you are triggered by a conversation about money, it's really important to understand what is triggering you and why are you triggered? Because it's more likely to be a reflection of something that else is going on for you to do with your sense of self-worth and self-value. And it's almost like a gift that money is giving you then. It's actually exposing you to what it is at a core level that is causing you to feel like that when really your relationship with money is just the symptom of something that is going on much, much deeper. That's That resonates unbelievably well with me. And actually, I've got a question for you off the back of that, because this is something that I've been kind of thinking myself recently is, you know, as I as my career progresses with this business now and you know you can you can call me a business coach or whatever you know I, I help personal trainers grow their online businesses 
I know for a fact that my identity remains quite largely within that. I see myself as a father. I see myself as a partner. But a lot of what I do and and how I view myself is as Ollie, the business coach. And I'm really, really worried about that identity being so strong that I value myself based on how well my business is doing. And I know that nearly every business has the ability to go up and down in how successful it is. And it will go through hard times and through good times. And I'm actually quite consciously aware. Um, and actually, only recently, we had a, a, a really difficult spell in the business. And it really, really affected me personally, because I know how much of an attachment I have to that identity as a business coach. If the business is doing well, then I'm obviously a good business coach. I'm obviously a good person. If it's not doing so well, how, how can I like overcome that? And how can I detach myself from that identity? So that's putting me on the spot quite a bit there. <laughs> but I welcome it. I welcome it. That is just the perfect example of our self-worth and self-value being tied up in success, being tied up with a figure in our bank account and something I'm always striving to get my clients to accept that the figure in our bank account is just a number and it's a number upon which we can choose to take action or choose to not take action. And it should never, ever be coupled with our sense of self-worth and self-value. We always find ourselves in a situation, as what we often find ourselves, I should say, in a situation, you know, not of our making. That can be a pandemic. It can be, you know, a financial downturn. It can be a war in a part of the world, etc. It's not so much what happens in those situations that we should be judging ourselves on. It's how we react to that and the action that we take. That is the reflection of a good business owner. It's actually taking your head out of the sand and being able to see what is happening and being able to take action so the trajectory doesn't continue in a downward spiral, but you take that action in order to be able to turn things around. Now, I say this as somebody who has, you know, another business where we have gone through similar highs and lows of the last 16 years. And I have berated myself, you know, over times as well, because, you know, income has dipped, not so many clients, et cetera, et cetera. And then with hindsight, when I look back and say, yeah, but you're still here. You've still managed to come through that. You have still impacted people's lives positively. And that should be the measure of our success. It's how we ride the storm. It's not avoiding the storm because those storms will come. And very often we can't actually judge or know that storm is going to come. Who knew Putin, you know, was going to evade uh, Ukraine? Who knew the knock-on effect of what the global energy suppliers were going to do in terms of? And and also, it's not just that. It's also how other people react to what goes on around them. And I recorded a podcast 
a off-the-cuff podcast. I normally plan my, my solo episodes quite closely. But around about the 5th of July, I was getting really, really irked with how the media was repeatedly saying... We're in a recession. We're going into a recession. Prices are going to go through the roof. People are going to be on the streets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all that was doing was driving fear. And people can choose to respond or not respond to that fear. And very often with fear, it's fight, flight, or freeze. And really, those you know, neither of those three options are, are the best way to manage what is going on. But when we are presented with a set of circumstances, it's not the circumstances, it's how we respond to them. So I would really, really appeal to you to look at how you responded and possibly even more importantly, how you encouraged your clients and your audience to respond. Because everything I see you do you are doing it from a position of trying to advise your clients, this is happening, don't respond in this way, respond in this way instead. So I think it isn't a it isn't about what happens, it is about how you respond to it. And that is the measure of a successful business person, not avoiding the downturns because you can't do that. How is that for response? Well, listen, I feel like I just got a free coaching session on this podcast and that was amazing. So thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) It's like there's so much power in, um, you know, being able to flip it from, look, you know, these things are going to happen. That doesn't that doesn't define you. How you respond in those situations is ultimately what makes you you know, successful, not successful, strong, not strong, whatever. Um, so that's that's really powerful. So thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And, you know, one of, one of the biggest things, you know, and you'll have heard this before as well, but it so resonates with me is, and this too will pass because yeah. we have been through, you know, throughout our lifetimes, our parents' lifetimes, our grandparents' lifetimes, there have been so many things that can knock us off course. But this will pass all these different things that are going on at the moment and it truly is about how we respond to it and taking intentional action because i i genuinely believe there are there are two ways you can respond to things you can take action or you cannot take action but both of those are a decision and it's up to you which decision you take essentially to do something about the circumstances you're presented with or to do nothing. But either way, you've made a decision. And, and this is why you do what you do. And the end of the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> so the last question I, I would like to ask you, Ali, because I think this is going to be really interesting, is what if you now, if your patio doors opened and in walked your 16-year-old self and sat down on that sofa behind you, what would you say to him? Oh, fascinating question. This this is turning into a lovely therapy session, isn't it? Um, what would I say to 16-year-old me? It's because I've got a 16-year-old. I mean, I'd, I'd love to know what to say to him. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would probably say something along the lines of, um, you're going to make lots of mistakes, but if at the core of what you do, your intentions are good, everything will be fine. And I think a lot of the things that have 
seen me do, you know, what I've done over the last few years has all come back to intention. Um, and I always try to make sure that any decision that I make, whether it's in my personal life or in my business or whatever it is, the intention is is good. And that just seems to be um, something that's that's continually served me. I know it, you know, in my own peace of mind and in my own heart that everything I do has good intention. And um, yeah, I, I just think that's something that I would implore anyone to do. If you're getting into things with the wrong, you know, for the wrong reasons, or if you're doing something because you, you have um, bad intentions, it never serves you. Um, and so that would be the piece of advice that I'd give 16-year-old Ollie, to be honest with you. And I think 16-year-old Ollie would be very, very proud of 30-something-year-old Ollie now having been present in the support, feedback, applause, post-event commentary that all your clients have about you. Your 16-year-old self would be applauding you now in how far you have come. And I just know how far you have to go because you have something special because your clients love what you do and your clients aren't afraid to demonstrate how much they love what you do and what you're doing for them. Thank you very much. I'll take it. I can see you blushing. (laughs) So how can people connect with you? Um, So the most common place is Instagram. That's where I spend most of my time. And that is Ollie, O-L-L-I-E, Carson, C-A-R-S-O-N. And then there's two underscores. Um, I also use Facebook and LinkedIn, but I'm I'm most heavy on, on Instagram. So yeah, that's, that's where you'll find me. And all your contact details will be in the show notes. So people don't need to worry. They'll be able to find the relevant underscores, et cetera. Thank you very, very much for your time today. I have loved this conversation. Thank you for putting me on the spot because that helps me to grow as well. So thank you for your time. I look forward to catching up soon. Thank you very much, Leslie. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening to the latest episode of the Let's Talk Money and More podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to better understand your relationship with money, then please head to the resources section on my website, the Money Confidence Academy, and download my monthly money mindset audit. This will allow you to create a benchmark for where your relationship with money is right now and allow you to continue to measure it on a monthly basis as you do the inner work to improve it. You will also find a copy of my Money Archetypes Assessment at the same time, which will allow you to start to really understand which are your three primary money archetypes driving your relationship with money and how to use this information to make, spend, keep and invest more money. Or if you are a female online business owner, why not join my free Money Confidence community over on Facebook? A link to the group and other ways to connect with me can be found in the show notes. Finally, if you have enjoyed listening to the podcast, please do tell others about it. And I would love it if you rated it and gave a review.